Hey, Keith. Did you know this week is the 20th anniversary of the release of that classic Star Trek Next Generation movie, First Contact? You know, that was one of my all-time favorites, and especially uh, going to see it uh, in the movie theater with, uh, with the whole family. Except to this day, I'm haunted. Every time I close my eyes, I see Data making out with the Borg Queen. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. Somehow, I question your motives. That is because you haven't been properly stimulated yet. I think you got him. This is Geek Counter Geek. I'm Keith Conrad, at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter, if you want to follow some of my uh, snarky tweets. Joined, as always, by Elliot Serrano, at Elliot Serrano on Twitter. You know, I'm not sure yeah, if it's a... Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing that, uh, you know, we're so unoriginal with our names. It's easy to find, but not very much fun. Well, if you're looking for me, always remember, it's two L's and two T's. A lot of folks forget that second T, and then... They get the wrong Elliot, and then they start sending him angry DMs and texts, and this guy's telling me, dude, can you please tell folks that you're not me? So, yeah. I apologize in advance. And then there's still that Keith Conrad, who's the math professor at UConn, who probably gets angry mail for, uh, you know, meant for me, too. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> you could also follow the show at geekcountergeek.com. Uh, you know, not only can you find links to all of uh, the episodes, but also uh, to things that uh, that we see during the course of the week. And uh, we also posted on uh, on Facebook as well. Geek Counter Geek. Easy enough to find. Geek Counter Geek, a part of the Radio Misfits podcast network, also home to such classics as uh, On a Quest, Minutia Men, Lozano and his friends. And uh, uh, the uh, the Vintage Space podcast, uh, Amy Shira Title just p- posted uh, her first episode this week. I uh, I haven't oh. listened to it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my favorite! I'll talk about them every week as long as we're all family. The dishing bitches. I love those dishing bitches. I'm telling you. I think that gals. that that should be a blurb on the on the website. Just I love those those dishing bitches, Elliot. <laughs> Uh, hey, and and, and I, I can't get over the fact that we actually even have a sponsor. We have a we have a, a sponsor on our podcast. I mean, tweaked audio. So if you're listening to the podcast and you know you're you're chilling and checking things out, and you want to figure out how to fully experience the Geek Counter Geek podcast, you always want to go to tweakedaudio.com, where they have headphones and accessories with key features such as eight colors uh, and styles. Available mic'd and non-mic'd versions designed to sound great for music and talk, especially incessant rambling about geek topics like we have here. 
a noise-reducing design, and a limited warranty. And if you use the discount code GCG at checkout, that'll save you 33% off and get you free worldwide shipping. So make sure you check it out. Tell them that Geek Counter Geek sent you. And, uh, you know, big news in the uh, in the Star Trek world uh, this week. They finally announced uh, some, some casting in Star Trek Discovery, except they didn't actually say who the character is. They just said... A person is going to be on the show. <laughs> They're like, we got to do something here. We got to move forward. Um, yeah, so they they uh, announced Michelle Yeoh. Um, many folks would know will know her from um, the the epic Ang Lee uh, kung fu uh, film uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She's also been uh, uh, a co star with Jackie Chan in some of his movies. I want to say was. Um, Super Cops was the last the one they did together. And then um, she was also a Bond girl in uh, one of the last. Um, oh, Pierce she was. Brosnan. I, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, no, uh-huh, I noticed it. I have had such a crush on Michelle, Michelle Yeoh for years. And of course, I fell in love with her in um, um, in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That made me then go on to see her in, in all her other um, Hong Kong films. And um, just a great, I think, going to be great. The fact that they're, of course, you're going to have a woman. They're going to have a, 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 an Asian woman who's going to be hopefully. Um, I, I'm, you know, what? I'm banking that she's the main character. I'm banking that she's the one that they're going to focus on. I mean, seriously, why would you talk about the, uh, you know, a, why would you announce a supporting cast member? Before everyone else. Yeah, that, that was my thought as well, that because of the fact that she's the first person who's actually announced with this, that she's got to be the main character. But it may also be that, uh, you know, she's the she's the biggest name, you know, that they're that they're going to be uh, adding to the cast, that everybody else is going to be, you know, kind of new. So that's really probably the only uh, only sticking point that maybe, you know, maybe maybe that's the reason they decided to announce her first. But but. You know, in in all honesty, I, I would say it's it's probably a pretty good bet that she's the main character, and and that uh, that that seems pretty exciting to me. And although we already know that the main character is not going to be uh, the say the captain of the Discovery, uh, they want to focus on on other members of the crew. So yeah, who knows? You I know. had I had a thought about that this week because you know if you look at. Um, uh, at, at the very least, the original series and the next generation, every other captain that they run into, you know, that, that Kirk or Picard runs into is essentially either a bumbling idiot or, you know, evil in some way. Uh, and I and I wonder if that's going to be, you know, kind of a subplot of uh, of Star Trek Discovery that, you know. We're we're following around one of the other crew members because you know they're they're the ones doing all the work anyway. The captain's you know, <laughs> captain's not really pulling their weight. No, and I, although it just it just occurred to me um, that I don't know maybe I'm jinxing it by saying this, and maybe I shouldn't say it because then they'll change it. And or maybe the idea is just so radical that it will tick some people off. But I'm going to tell you, what if they decided they're going to do this slow release 
of all these cast members on on Star Trek Discovery, and they're gonna ultimately ultimately they're gonna reveal that Star Trek Discovery is gonna have the first cast that is primarily made up of all women. Okay. Well, your, yeah. You know, your 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 captain's a woman. Your science officer's a woman. You know, I mean, again, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have any men, but they would flip it where you'd have yeah. really the, the men would be in the supporting roles, whereas the women would take on the main roles. And and that would be pretty easy to accomplish. And it wouldn't be, you know, I, I was about to say it wouldn't be realistic, but it's it's Star Trek. You can make anything realistic. <laughs> uh, well, everyone's everyone's angry about, you know, a female Jedi Knight in The Force Awakens. So <laughs> that that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you know, those those that 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 feminist agenda is reaching space. Yeah, know. but but you're right though that that you could make you could very easily do that by just making essentially, you know, you're not saying that there aren't in there aren't men in important roles on the ship. It's just you're focusing on you know like a say a core group of characters that that happen to be women and you know obviously in important roles. Right. So. You know, uh, uh, that could be it. But here's here's the thing. I have been giving them so much credit, <laughs> too much credit, <laughs> if you ask me. I mean, didn't I say, oh, yeah, they're well, and the, they're going to reveal the whole cast, and they're going to unload that first episode in January, and they're just going to be like the best-kept secret in the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, you'll see. <sighs> yeah, they've, you know, sometimes I want to think that TV people are smarter than me, and then they prove they're not. Yeah, TV people and politicians, they'll break your heart every time. Every time. And, you know, and it's, it is, it, it, speaking of, you know, got, you know, people getting angry about women in space or, you know, <laughs> feminists in space. Isn't it funny how the Trump trolls hate feminazis, but they, but they don't seem to have a problem with real Nazis? That is, yeah, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, I, I though, though, want to sign up to be the um, archaeologist that finds the Ark of the Covenant before they do. Well, that, that's true. Yeah, you definitely yeah. don't. Uh, actually, <laughs> you know, that, that is interesting because, you know, everybody complains about, uh, you know, the Nazi card being thrown around. And, but then you, you, you just sent feminazi, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty clearly throwing the Nazi card around completely well, needlessly. Well, you start, like, doing this... The Sieg Heil Nazi salute at your, you know, your get togethers. It's kind of hard not to throw that Nazi salute. Or, you know, when you're saying hi, hail whoever. Yeah. And then, you know, you're putting, the, you're putting that palm up. Hail Trump in this case uh, this week. Well, I, I don't know if I would get I would be like, oh, no. Why are they comparing us to Nazis? You know, yeah. hey, even the Nazis are admitting to it. Yeah. When the know? Nazis literally hold a, a, a Trump victory rally. Um, yep. You know, maybe you want to rethink the way at, at least rethink the way you're presenting your ideas. You know, even if you don't think there's anything wrong with your ideas, clearly there's something wrong in the presentation at the very least. Come up with a new secret handshake. You know, one that not everybody can identify, you know, they'll go, oh, oh, that's different. So I, here's the thing. I don't want to be hearing about feminazis in space. All that, right. That That's true. Although that sounds like. That that sounds like a, a an adult movie from the eighties, feminazis <laughs> in space. Well, I'm gonna tell you, feminazis in space is gonna be my newest comic book from Dynamite Entertainment. <laughs> be on the lookout for it. 
and then you'll get uh, you get sued by whoever wrote uh, that that movie Iron Sky about the Nazis on the moon. Yeah, well, yeah, but see, mine is going to be like fun. <laughs> Although that, that Iron Sky actually was fun too. Um, but no, it'll be feminazis in space. I want to I want to cross over with uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's Bitch Planet. You know. <laughs> It, I'm legit. That's an actual comic book, Bitch Planet. I want the feminazis, you know, the uh, it's their their starship, the um, SS, um, the US, not even USS. It would be like FSS because it's gonna be like feminine something. And, and um, then I, I feel like the ditch the dishing bitches have to show up at some point in this crossover. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. It'll be the the the, the SS Steinham, you know. <laughs> And then, you know, they're going through space, you know, essentially promoting their feminazi agenda. And then I hope at some point the Amazonian women from Futurama show up too, just, you know, just just to round out the group. You know, pretty much. And then they're going to land on a planet, you know, just totally populated by uh, Gamergate guys. And, and, (laughs) And, and, And they'll just nuke the planet. Nuke it. Yeah. But, you know, just nuke it from space. It's the only way you can be sure. That's 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 true. So uh, you know, interestingly, as far as uh, as far as the president elect goes, there's uh, I, I saw a couple of stories floating around about um, well, kind of kind of good news and bad news as far as uh, as far as President Trump and space. No, we're not going to launch him into space. Although that would be a great comic book, though. Thank you. I'm writing there, that there, one. There, there you go. President Trump in space. Uh, Ash sends Trump into space. Oh, no, Ash would send him somewhere else. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. That, Obama's going to send him into space. <laughs> so uh, the, the good news is that uh, Trump may end up, because, you know, he's, he's listening to Gingrich, and I, so Trump may end up uh, having NASA go back to the moon. The bad news is they're going to, you know, he's not going to want to actually give NASA more money. So they're just going to shut down everything else to pay for it. Yeah. And, and he's saying he, he's, he just wants to pretty much disregard all the research that, um, that NASA did on climate change. It's pretty much, you know, it's too political. It's what, politically motivated science. Which is politicized science, I think is what he called it. Which, by the way. If you want to prove that global warming is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese, wouldn't you want as much data as you can get to back it up? Like, wouldn't you want another satellite up there, you know, monitoring everything so that you could prove, hey, look, the Earth isn't getting warmer. The ice is just melting because, you know, it wants to melt. The, the, the problem is that the satellites are showing that the ice is melting. <laughs> it's like. The facts are coming out. It's not quite fitting the narrative here. You know, right. it's like the whole, whole crap. I mean, unless you want to do like that bit where you like um, do reverse photography, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you run the, the um, you know, the, the time lapse in reverse. In reverse. It looks great. <laughs> but then they'll be going, wait a minute. Why is the sun setting in the wrong place? That makes no Oh, you, you and your science witchery. You know what? What happened? Is Superman reversing the? Yeah, the, that the, that that the that's of the planet again. Yeah, you know yeah. to save Lois Lane. What's going on? So. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I uh, sort of sort of lost in all that is uh, is Elon Musk uh, unveiling his uh, his solar roof. Uh, did you did you see anything about that over the past couple of weeks? I I did see that, and I was like, the fact that it actually costs less than than your run of the mill roof. Yeah, and, and it's it's made out of and glass, and and it's it's permanent. Like you'd never have to replace your roof ever again. And and it, that's even before you get the energy benefits to it. It's right. cheaper. But I'm like, okay, that, that's my thing about global warming is, you know, I. I, I think politicians handle it all wrong because, you know, mo- most of the focus when you look at when you look at the, um, you know, the pe- the people who are who are most vocally, you know, fighting against global warming, which, you know, I, I'm a big believer that we should be as good to the planet as we can, whether whether the earth is actually getting warmer or not, we should still be doing the best we can to, you know, take care of the planet as best we can. So, you know, if um you know, if we can find a way to generate power that doesn't involve burning coal, no matter what, hey, let, let's figure out a way to generate electricity that doesn't involve burning coal. So I look at things like, you know, Elon Musk's power roof, and I, I think this is the greatest thing in the world. And that's, you know, that's what we should be focusing on, because something like that makes sense whether the Earth is getting warmer or not. You know, because even if we weren't having this debate that's it's a much better idea than what we're doing yeah the problem is then you have all those coal miners out of jobs and they have well, to deal they with can, their black lung disease then and they, stuff then they can install solar roofs instead of digging uh you know instead of uh digging halfway down to satan <laughs> i mean it's well, it's not, well like they're, they're the ones digging halfway down to satan somebody else is digging the hole they're just sending them in there to like okay. deal with with everything and, and yeah but i mean there's a there's a big difference between you know in stuff and digging the satan you know <laughs> yeah. if you ask me and, and actually you um, wouldn't just be shutting down the coal miners you'd be shutting down the people running the the coal-powered plants too but yeah and they wouldn't like that they they, they, would they, they wouldn't but you know that you, you adapt you know, I, I don't I don't think anybody would argue with the idea that if if you can make your entire roof generate electricity, like pretty much constantly, because, you know, it, say say you have a house which has, you know, generally a, no, a number of different sides that are facing in different directions, but they're all generating a little bit of electricity throughout the day. You're going to have a hell of a lot of electricity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you know, it's like, uh, unless you're in Chicago and the thing's covered by snow. Uh, well, yeah, that would be a little bit of a problem, but you know, it wouldn't take you. You just need a little bit of a heating element in there. It, would, it wouldn't wouldn't actually take much. Just flip a switch and yeah. you know, like like I know uh, in Denver at Coors Field they have a, a heating system under the field. You know, because it's Denver and it snows sometimes. Well, at, at least it did before global warming. Um, and literally, they just they just run hot water under the field, and it it makes it just hot enough that snow doesn't stick to it. Which always had me wondering why you don't do that on roads, but I guess that would be really expensive. Well, yeah, because you have all. Well, in Denver, you have you know people running over it, and on roads, you have ten-ton trucks running over yeah, things. Yeah, that'd so. be a bit of a problem. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, and Cecil Fielder doesn't play for the 
the Colorado Rockies. So, you know, he does not. As a matter of fact, he doesn't play anymore. Or, or even Prince Fielder, right? Maybe no, Prince no. Fielder Prince, just... Prince Fielder's gone too. He uh, he hurt himself, and and he's done. You know, just took his money, took that hundred million home. Yeah, the, uh... poor Prince Fielder. Ah, oh, poor guy. So we mentioned this in the open. Uh, This is the 20th anniversary of the release of Star Trek First Contact. Hard to believe it's been 20 years. Um, Hard to believe that's the best next generation movie that they were able to come up with. It really is amazing when you think about it. Now, uh, you know, Ron Moore, he he co-wrote the the script for that. And, I mean, he, he was... He really... I mean, when you look at, like, the last, I'd say, at least three seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, I mean, he was he was all up in that. I mean, he was, he, you know, obviously he was just one of the writers, and eventually he became an executive producer, but he was, he was really driving most of the storytelling in the last couple seasons. And, I mean, it, it's generally, I, I, I don't think it's speaking out of turn to say that most people agree that Star Trek The Next Generation got better as it went along. So, you know, by the end, that's when it was really cooking. The television series. Right, the, the television series. Yeah. The, the movies, it seemed like uh, when Generations first came out, it seemed very, you know, I guess it, it couldn't live up to the hype, quite honestly. Yeah, and, and um, it, it sounds like from, from what I've heard from, from more interviews, because he, he co-wrote that one as well, uh, that that they were sort of told, here's what we want to have happen in this movie. Okay, go write it. Right, and that was kind of annoying because um, they had to put in the death of Captain Kirk, yeah. which is really well, they they not only had to have him in the story to begin with with Picard, but then they had to kill him too. They had to kill him and pretty much do. Uh, I believe there. <clears throat> if you read the novelization of Star Trek Generations, it's a a different um uh, a different death kirk dies a different way than he does in the movie and apparently people hated the original version of the movie so much they had to go back and reshoot it um that's why you get the bit with kirk on the, on the br- uh um well at least kirk dies on the bridge and the, yeah see that's uh, that's the thing that annoyed me the most out of everything was the fact that he, you know, I uh, we've had this discussion before. If Kirk's going to die anywhere, it's on the bridge of the Enterprise. You could have had him on the Enterprise in that role that um, Riker was playing and just basically doing everything he could to save this, the crew, and he ends up dying doing that. You know, but no, they had to do this whole bit where it was Picard and Kirk fighting together to stop, you know, Malcolm McDowell when... Even me, sitting in the movie theater, I'm going, why are you going back to that point? If the Nexus lets you go back to any point in time, why don't you go to the time when you could have met him before and just arrest him on the spot? That would have made <laughs> yeah. a little bit more sense. Would have been a little safer, too. Yeah, and then, and then on top of that, the Enterprise itself wouldn't have been destroyed. You know, so because Picard has no foresight or really thinking, hey, I've got time travel. I can go back to any point in time. I'm, while I'm in the this. Nexus, I'm not aging, so I can literally, I can sit down with Guinan and a big whiteboard and, <laughs> and, and sketch out the, the best ways to do this before we to actually go thing. back in time. Yeah. 
So, and to me, that was a problem that I had with that was with Generations is that, you know, unlike the series itself, it was, you know, the series itself was, I mean, that, that, the, the series itself didn't have its, ble- did not ha- had its share of blemishes. That's a given. Um, the problem with it, though, was it wasn't connecting. It didn't connect with me emotionally. I remember as a kid uh, when I saw it, I, it didn't, I was a kid. What am I talking about? I was in my 20s when I saw it. Um, you know, uh, it didn't connect so much with me. And then um, first contact comes along and it keyed into that bit where, you know, let's face it, the Borg are probably the outside of the Klingons, the best, you know, alien characters they've ever created for Star Trek. Um, Discounting Tribbles, which are just, you know, a nuisance. But um, the Borg being that thing that people, you know, the Borg are like the zombies of start the star trek universe people are scared poopless over them and um and there's just something about them that just keys into a subconscious dread and having picard revisit that um, made for that emotional connection that i think a lot of folks lacked in the first one yeah you know the the thing that uh you know especially looking back that strikes me about first contact is i mean it was the first you know, next generation movie, I guess, you know, technically it was the second, you know, but obviously they were planning on making more next generation movies after this. So you knew that at the end of Star Trek First Contact, uh, they were going to end up back in their own time, you know, as if nothing had happened. And yet they still managed to make it, you know, very dramatic and, um, you know, make it make it not feel quite so certain that 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 was going to happen as the story played out well it's i think um and well before we start you know seeing the praises of the movie i mean if you watch it now um it doesn't quite hold up um there there's some action sequences that work very well but then there's that whole bit when um you know they have to like do something with the radar dish or forget on the on the on the um on the on the on the enterprise and there's this tense moment where someone loses a tool (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's actually a a whole sequence that you could completely cut out of the movie and you wouldn't be missing anything yeah aside from the fact that 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 the the ensign ricky character that they've just introduced gets (laughs) killed other than that and considering the fact that like half the crew is getting assimilated you probably could have just said, "Hey, yeah, Ensign Ricky, he got he got assimilated a few minutes ago." Oops, oops. And then you have um, the Zephyrin Cochran character being um, introduced, and um, which was uh, played by um, uh, James Cromwell. Maybe yeah, it was James correctly. Cromwell, who who you know showed up in a lot of Star Trek episodes, but. Uh, Probably most memorable is Zephyr Cochran, yeah. Yeah, Zephyr Cochran, and, and which made many of the purists a little annoyed because Zephyr Cochran, the char- uh, that character, does appear in the classic Star Trek film. And Zephyr Cochran ends up uh, stranded on a remote planet with an alien companion that um, over time, you know, um, um, kind of like is like the Friday to his uh, uh, Robinson Crusoe. Um, and the character was completely different on, in classic Trek than it was than he was in, in First Contact. In First Contact, he's this route, you know, this rock and roll, booze swilling, you know, kind of rebel who wants nothing to do with, 
you know, Starfleet and everything. He just wants to, you know, create space, travel, blah, blah, blah. And Zephyrin Cochran in Classic Trek is really a kind of more of a square peg in a square hole kind of dude. Well, you know, he needed that experience of, you know, running into Captain Picard and the gang in order to become the Zephyrin Cochran that we all knew and loved in the original series. What, they broke his spirit? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> He's like, oh, God. Uh, this is what the future's like. <laughs> what am I going to do? I don't want to be a statue. And then, of course, you have to figure out a way to, to, to work um, data in there. I mean, remember how many different times you had to have a data subplot I mean, they, they pretty much do it in all the Star Trek films. And I'm wondering if it was because they really felt it was necessary or, you know, they just needed to keep Brent Spiner interested. <laughs> like every time he, they'd send him a script and he'd be like, I'm not doing this. There's not enough data. <laughs> like global warming, they'll say about global yeah, warming. Yeah, we, we need more data. Need more data. <laughs> yeah, but like 99 out of 100... Um, scientists will agree that you've got enough data. Well, you know, when that hundredth finally loosens up, then we'll talk. And the, that's the screenwriter of the group. <laughs> that is a that is a good point. I mean, uh, yeah, even uh, even uh, generations, and, and that was that was somewhat superfluous because you mm-hmm. already had uh, you're already having to you know figure out a way to get Kirk into this story, and and now you've decided. Uh, Data is going to become a little boy, um, you know, like like Pinocchio. Oh, I'm a real boy. Um, well, that yeah, that, that's pretty much what happened in that uh, in that episode. Um, yeah, I, and then in First Contact, obviously there was the uh, you know now he's going to be human, and now he's he's got a little girlfriend. Um, in Insurrection, he. Uh, he meets the, uh, he meets the, uh, you know, well, I, I was about to say the 700 year old man who's really like 10, but, but they said that he's really 10. He's, he just, you know, he hasn't stopped not aging yet. Yeah, like um, Benjamin Button. Right, right. Exactly. And then, uh, and then in Nemesis, he dies. Cause you had to have some sort of moment, you know? And I think Brent Spiner was tired of putting the damn makeup on. So he's like, guys, get me out of this, you know? Um, and they, I think they kind of like later on now, uh, I'm sure the, the trekkers out there can correct me. If you've been reading both, uh, if you've been watching the movies and reading the comics from IDW, um, they've been, you know, at one point, um, data does go on to become the captain of his own starship. So, and I believe in the comics that they had in the run up to, the Abrams reboot data and Jordy are actually responsible for building the ship that Spock takes back in time. Yeah. So if he's dead in, in, um, nemesis, I don't know. I will be, uh, for the interest of full disclosure, I have not seen either insurrection or nemesis. I have not watched either of those movies. Really? Yeah. Um, I was just so like, you know, I think insurrection sound it felt too much like the there was um 
right after Generations uh, uh, and the death of Captain Kirk, they actually re- revi- they resurrected Captain Kirk in a novel series that was <clears throat> quote unquote written by William Shatner, just like he wrote all the Tech War series. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> Tech War books. But it's like they brought him back, and it was you know one of the things was he kind of discovers this planet where he it makes him feel so much younger, you know, and he has to deal with you know protecting these people from you know being exploited by the Federation. I'm like. Um, wait, that, isn't that, hold on, isn't that what happens in Insurrection? No, so. <laughs> so they they ripped off poor William Shatner's idea. Yeah, so. You no, know, no, I, no wonder he didn't my, want my to come back. To, you know, I was say, my loyalty to William Shatner, you know, was, um, was re- not really rewarded in the long run. So. <laughs> Yeah. So, so overall, you know, looking back on uh, first contact twenty years later, <clears throat> you know, you, you said, uh, and we've basically agreed that there are some parts of it that uh, you could you could probably cut out of the movie, and it, it you wouldn't miss them. Uh, but overall, I'd say you know it, it's it still holds up. It's still very watchable. I mean, I, I remember uh, maybe a month ago it it uh, was on Sci-Fi, and I just, you know I was flipping through the channels and just landed on it, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm watching this until it's done. Sort of, it's sort of like Jaws in that regard. You know, if, if I'm flipping through the channels and land on Jaws, darn it, I'm watching Jaws. Or Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption is up there, too, yeah. It Shawshanked. Although, here's the thing. Again, going back to First Contact and the things that, that happened. Okay, so the scene when we first meet the Borg Queen uh-huh. and, you know, her, her upper torso lowers down and there's all these, you know, um, uh, cables and stuff that are lowering her. Um, very reminiscent of a similar scene in the Captain EO movie starring Michael <laughs> Jackson. That one, though, was not written by William Shatner. Or, or Ronald Moore. Although, who knows? Maybe Ronald Moore went to see the Captain EO film and he thought, hey, this, I've got to see. Uh, this we've got to do. Yeah, I could, I could totally see that happening. You know, but then, of course, it, the only thing that they were missing was um, Captain EO showing up at the end of First Contact and saying, you know, Riker, are you okay? Are you okay, Riker? The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at RadioMisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gabatron.